Welcome to Let's Talk Value. My distinct pleasure to welcome Marika Jongman today to the podium. So, uh, thank you for inviting me, Farina. I'm very happy uh, to be here today. So in this loose series, as you may remember, we talk with various experts and leaders across the healthcare sector, which we refer to the five Ps, patient, provider, pharma, payer, and policy. And too often than not, there are particular interests in, to, in play and bargaining power, and these interests don't always align. My name is Reina Volter. I'm the CEO and founder of 5P Healthcare Solutions, a boutique consulting firm that helps actually these experts and leaders work together better. And I'm the author of It Takes Five to Tango, where I'm describing some of the root causes to why this is actually not working and offer a couple of solutions around value-based healthcare and collaborative negotiation. But today is really an important day because we talk about the people behind the function and the people behind the silos and a topic of emotional intelligence. And this is where Marika really is leading at the forefront here to help us uh, get better in our own awareness, but also acquire a new skill set on how we can become better negotiators at the table and interact with our fellow human beings at the table, be it you know, in other experts than we are, but we need to get better in really finding a language and how we can better interact. So without further ado, Marike, mm -hmm. please tell us what is your understanding and what does value mean to you in healthcare? Yeah, I, that is such a difficult and great question to answer at the same time. And um, I have to tell the story. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a conversation with my neighbor and I live in a community of Mennonites. So it's always you know, a little different than, you know, I'm, I, I grew up. Uh, so my neighbor told me that she thinks that the medical community is way too much focused on prolonging life and too little focused on the quality of life. So I thought about this discussion and conversation that I had with her for, for a long time. And I think I agree with her to a very large extent. And we are all, you know, especially in the pharmaceutical industry, so focused on the science and of, of the care that sometimes we lose sight of what truly ma matters. And that's, of course, the patients. And I really do believe that we're doing everything with the right intent, that we're incredibly passionate about the science. Uh, and, you know, without you know, doubt that is really advancing care, but it's not the only thing that is advancing care. So to me, Value in healthcare is in the eye of the beholder or the patients at, at the time. Are we serving the patient in their particular healthcare goals? Excellent. And thanks for that reminder and good uh, comment from your neighbor. <laughs> But I think this is, this is really putting it on the spot. And so you already mentioned, you know, science and pharmaceutical industry, and to that extent, also academic research. So you've spent most of your career, but many years of your career in the pharmaceutical industry, but more precisely in the medical function, which is working very closely with the scientific discovery and clinical development and studies and working with doctors and patients also to a certain extent. So if you reflect about that part of the ecosystem, what gets in the way of consistently delivering that value that you were just describing? Yeah, uh, um, 
so I think there are many facets to what is prohibiting or, you know, is, is, you know, not advancing the value as fast or as well as we think we, we should or how well we can. I, I really think that, you know, just as we in the pharmaceutical industry are passionate about the science, um, others, you know, in the different ecosystem of healthcare are equally passionate about their contributions. But, you know, as you know, as everybody knows, uh, in the past couple of decades, we've had a very, you know, substantial social, economic and political shift. And our focus has become much more narrowed on what we do, particularly in our silo. And we are no longer recognizing or even appreciating the dynamic of basically the village that cares for the patients. So I think what's really preventing us from getting where we are is that we're too focused on ourselves and not, you know, outwardly to, to advance the patients. Yeah. So what do you think, or I, I, I believe you're convinced that the role of pharma and medical leadership in pharma could be, because this is where you now really commit yourselves and give back a lot of your experience. So what could be the role then of medical leadership to break it down more concretely to some of the functions in the 5P ecosystem. That's a, um, so I'm really passionate and maybe I'm a little, you know, uh, I have my ear, my eye uh, blinkers on as, as well. But I think medical affairs leaders are uniquely positioned to really advance the entire ecosystem. And it's particularly because of who we are. You know, first of all, most of us, if not all of us have been clinicians or providers. So, you know, we know how that ecosystem works. So we, and we also know what patients need and what patients want. So we already have those two perspectives. Now, as clinicians or as we, you know, are going in, in developing in our roles within the pharmaceutical industry, we also get very, you know, a close view of payers, what payers need, what payers want, and how they are perceiving their particular ecosystem. Now, um, of course, you know, we are restricted with, you know, very regulatory you know, restrictions, so to, so to speak. But in medical affairs, we still understand that there's a business need for the pharmaceutical company. You know, we, we, we have to understand that. Now, I also realize that most of us or, you know, some of us don't exactly have the regulatory uh, um, policymaker uh, view. But if you really look at it on the whole, from all angles, I think within medical affairs, our lives intersect on so many different ways with the different P's as you are describing in, in your book. So I really think we can make the difference. We can be that tipping point, you know, that can advance, you know, patient care and really, you know, deliver to the patient what we need to deliver to the patient. So that's my Thank point. you. You described it really nicely, like the Obviously, these five P's have all these intersections uh, among them, and certain expertise or groups of expertise sit further apart from the intersections, and some are closer to the intersections, and some are maybe at the intersection of all of them. And you really reminded us so nicely that the medical function within pharmaceutical is sitting very close in the in the really inner circle of all these, where all these intersections uh, converge, and you've described nicely why that is. So now breaking it down one level even 
further to the individuals and the human beings. And as human beings, you know, we're not machines. We, uh, you know, even Eric Topol, who wrote the great book about AI and deep intelligence, he is also saying, well, AI is actually there to help us keep the human touch. So let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the human touch. And as I said in my introduction, you know, having worked as a negotiation coach for, for many years, really, I'm coming to think that the number one barrier to collaboration is actually our own emotions and that are in friction with the emotions of the other person that is also very passionate of what you said, defending their position and their convictions and their, um, you know, uh, what they really believe in is important for patients and the healthcare system. So tell us now, what is it actually in your work that you do when you work with medical affairs leaders and when you work and apply emotional intelligence themes and what type of skills do you teach? Yeah. Um, well, it's hard to really describe, you know, the secret sauce of what I do uh, step by step, but it's very important to realize that emotional awareness of self and others and our emotional regulations are the key to success. Just like you say, uh, uh, sometimes it's our emotions and our perspectives that are inhibiting or preventing us from actually reaching uh, our particular goals. And I have a, you know, funny saying about that, that emotions are like kids in a car. You do not want them behind the steering wheel and take over the ride, but at the same time, you cannot put them in the trunk either. They need to be buckled up in the back seats and, you know, have their particular place. I love it. That's, that, a, that's great. <laughs> that's the best description I've ever heard. That's amazing. But, yeah, but because when you are in negotiations and you're letting your emotions take over the wheel, you're not going to get any, anywhere. At the same point, at the same time, if you put them in the trunk, you are not fully productive in your actions. Because what we need to realize is that all our actions are driven by our emotions. In fact, as we you know study it, uh, we have three things that contribute to our final actions. First, it's the trigger then it's the situation, and the third is our pre-existing experience. Those three things together become a thought, which then become a physiological response within the body, which becomes your emotion, which then becomes an action. And that's either productive or unproductive. And uh, that, of course, then becomes our pre-existing uh, condition uh, again. And so that's how we have the feedback back loop. Now, here is what I specifically te teach. And it sounds very complex, but it really isn't. It's really getting from A to B to C to D. But what I teach is really to be have your thought process become intentionally and purposefully so that you engage your prefrontal cortex and in expansive thinking. Because expansive thinking, that's really uh, um, what emotional intelligence is. That's uh, uh, so by breaking down the thought process in these manageable steps and applying them in different situations, over time during you know our sessions, these uh, this thought process will you know you will just master it, and you can apply it to your negotiation skills or you know other parts of life uh, um, as well. And I realize it sounds uh, complex, but really when you get clarity in what that th uh, thought process is, things will you know, fall into place, you know, very easily in many aspects. What have some of your participants or even yourself maybe told you and realized once they worked on their own self-awareness and how to, and some of these concepts are also we take from, you know, meditation and, you know, reframing thoughts and, 
and putting that distance between the thought and the emotion and the action. So what are some of the feedback you're hearing that help people? What do they do differently in their day job with a physician? And maybe you've heard somebody recently from your, from your workshops or maybe even yourself since you've been applying it with for yourself. Yeah, yeah that's uh, um, so one example, which I really, really love, and that's how you know you're done. That's uh, uh, when everything is 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 finished. Is um, uh, last week one of my uh, now I would say previous uh, clients had you know mastered the thought process uh, very very well. She had originally a lot of difficulty with executive presence on you know on on the leadership team, and she wasn't you know particularly heard very very well. So we worked for about uh, 12 weeks. And last week in our session, I said, hello, how are you doing? She started talking. And the next thing I said after 30 minutes, because she went through the thought process step by step by step and really resolved her own problem at that time. The next thing I said, you don't need me any longer because that's, you know, reframing thoughts with, with meditation. Once you have that step-by-step down, when you recognize, you know, you have the insight, you recognize your ability and you start putting it in practice, then the accountability will come you know, right, right around. So really the big difference that I see is, is a lot of clarity, much more ease in, in, in your conversations, in your communications, becoming more assertive in your communications without, you know, being aggressive or manipulative or, you know, passive aggressive, even in, in some uh, cases, receiving that clarity makes the, makes it, you know, just easier to get, to the points that you need to get to. And I think what you're referring to also from your client without um, for her own kind of presence in an example of an executive leadership reminds me one of the steps of the seven steps of negotiation is communication. And it's about communicating your own interest as much as to listen to the interests and learn and appreciate. That's why we started our conversation today. You know, that is we learn these skills to help understand the others in the ecosystem of the five piece better but part of it is also do we actually communicate well enough our own interests and do we stand up because sometimes we assume be it let's say medical affairs leader and pharma we assume the commercial colleague or we assume the doctor or we assume the fda knows what we know and it's actually not true how can they know they have enough to to do in their own expertise and their own function so how do we communicate well enough what we're in for, what are our interests, what is our passion, and then actually seek to understand the other one as well. But I think it goes through that, as you say, thought process and, and understanding actually yourself better so that you then can approach your peers and partners better. Yeah, I 100% I agree. When you realize what the story is that you tell yourself, you can dissect the story you are telling yourself about what others are, are implying and then you can break down the obstructions of your but that's your <laughs> part that's not what I'm I, I'm focusing on I'm focusing on the story you're telling yourself exactly perfect and that's where we started right the negotiation with your inner dialogue with your inner self <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> with your right. team of three me myself and I right it's your, exactly. your team of three but I and I know I mean we're getting into the details here so I can invite everybody really who who enjoys this type of 
topic or who wants to learn more, please reach out to Marika. He, she's very available on social media and I'm sure you can contact her personally. And if you like this series and this conversation, please like and share as always. But before we get to a close, there's always, you know, we know that in healthcare, our big problems, we need to get better with digitalization, which mm -hmm. unfortunately medicine and healthcare has been kind of old fashioned and, you know, catching that bandwagon of the fourth industrial revolution. So I know Mariki, you're working with your teams and be it, you know, medical science liaisons, which we call MSLs in, in the pharmaceutical industry. What are, what are some digital tools you're helping or applying in your skills trainings? That's a, uh, yeah, I, I am totally embracing, you know, the digital revolution and we are really getting so far. I think, you know, uh, the digital, you know, component of the entire ecosystem is, is driven by us humans. Like, for instance, uh, um, I think it's a perfect supplement to, you know, the individual things that, that you and I uh, do, you know, to master a skill in, in capabilities, you need repetition in a varied environment. You know, like uh, my colleague, Dr. Siegel says, where attention goes, information flows and neurons grow. That's uh, uh, so like you said, together with my team, we've developed an, an app, which is currently in, in beta, beta testing, but it embodies this particular uh, um, principle. So through daily micro learnings, uh, it will challenge you in the current thought process and to become more emotional intelligence and expand your way of, of thinking. And by having these little repeated things on a daily basis, you are building a habit within your, you know, in within your brain. And that applies to how you're thinking. It applies to how you learn some technical skills. It, it applies to, you know, negotiations, uh, of, of course. So I really think that, you know, this is the way of the future. That's uh, uh, the digital is really the support of, you know, what's the skills and the mastery that we as individuals, as humans uh, develop in particular areas, whether it is, you know, technical or cognitive, uh, um, it's, it's a great way of supporting, you know, the roles that we play in, in our various, you know, parts. And it really goes with the empowerment as well, right? You don't always, I mean, we, we still want face-to-face -face workshops with, because yeah. as we said, the human touch and the interaction is super important. So it's not to replace some more traditional learning environments, but I think the app-based learning, it's because it's at the time that you choose and you decide and the short period, it doesn't always have to be an hour training, sometimes we have 10 minutes. And I think the, like from the cognitive and the neuroscience perspective, the repetition is so important, but I really want to emphasize the empowerment piece because I think at the end we don't talk about this today but you know also apps for patients that's a big theme in terms of health literacy to empower patients because they can do stuff on their own on their beloved phone so here you are driving something really cool in terms of yes emotional skills as a as a topic because that's your theme but I think I want to encourage everybody out there you know, work more on apps for MSLs and for others, because, you know, the self-training is, is great and do it in a fun way. And I know that's close to your heart. Right, right. Because it's like you said, empowerment, autonomy, it really, you know, gives you the confidence, uh, even, you know, wh whether you're introverted or extroverted, it gives you the confidence, you know, to slowly get where 
where you want. And it's fun. You know, we should all have fun. That's uh... Before we close today, Marike, what else would you like to leave the audience with? That's uh, um, I would really and um, really would like to leave, you know, with curiosity. I really implore everybody to stay curious. That's whenever you feel, you know, kind of blocked or things aren't exactly going, uh, uh, become curious because I believe that curiosity is the basis of every solution to every single problem. So what I want to leave with is say, stay curious, my friends. Thank you very much, Marika Donglin. That's it. Thank you, Verena.